0: it's quite interesting to me so you know the black pride black love black power being proud to be black yeah those things had to happen because of what what had been taken away from us about our blackness and what blackness had been morphed into yeah. but if you turn that on its head being proud to be white is a completely different thing yeah. so it for me it's being proud to be black or proud to be black it's an accident of birth so I find the whole notion of being
1: proud to be it's quite bizarre. I'm Neil Maggs and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. This week we talk to CEO of St Paul's Carnival, Latoya McAllister. She is a former Ujima radio director and recently became a facilitator for the Citizens' Assembly. We talk about cancel culture, wokeness, right-wing politics and how people perhaps need to get a little bit more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. So we're going to kick off with a Facebook post of yours and this was in response to the government's announcement of a free speech guru at universities. You have said you have to wonder about the final destination of a government that sees fit to create a role to ensure free speech at universities for the crisis of the cancel culture, while also insisting that examining the role and past of the UK is not acceptable. This is not a drill. <laughs> That's it's quite it's, dramatic, it's, isn't it? Uh, so that, so that, yeah, to give that the context then, yeah, so the government announced a free speech champion and in the Culture Secretary's own words, Oliver Dowden, he said... Uh, this was to defend our culture and history from the noisy minority of activists constantly trying to do Britain Dame. You're one of those noisy minority activists, aren't you, Latoya McAllister? Yeah, I am. I yeah, I, I find
0: Oliver Dowden's pronouncements just ridiculous and and really quite disingenuous. Really, what's the agenda behind it for you? Well, I don't know. I, I, I've been I've been trying to wonder about what the agenda is. Is it? that they really feel that there is a a cancel culture crisis, which, you know, there is no evidence to support that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's coming out of the universities kind of challenging the central government view that this is an actual crisis. Or are they trying to whip up a frenzy within their base?
1: It's kind of, I guess, primarily a reaction to the various different kind of institutions, individuals, organisations that are starting to reevaluate British history. I mean, they've even said themselves that they will be implanting heritage bodies. So this feels like this is coming as a reaction to, you know, the decolonisation of, of British history.
0: There seems to be a drive to preserve a sense of British history and be rid of anyone or any any scrutiny, any accountability, any sense of a different facet of that history. It, well, history is told from the victor side and yeah. it feels very much like this government, this institution, the, who, who are currently our leaders, are going to great lengths to to present history as they want it to be presented. and Or to, even
1: to present history as it has traditionally been presented as in it this has, country. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yet and to to stop the march of what is inevitable sort of people wanting to you know
1: this is British history is a shared history mm-hmm. it's, it's it's all of our histories. The government position runs contrary to what's kind of happening in Bristol really um, Black Lives Matter and obviously we had the Colson statue last summer but we do have the the Bristol History Commission now with a, yeah. a few kind of senior historians including David soga who uh, his argument is that it is British history; it's always been there. It's only now we're talking about it, and it feels Absolutely. to me that the Pandora's box is open, and there's desperate attempts from the government, from this government, that to you know is, is a yeah, it's, it's to push the lid back on.
0: Yeah, it will have a counter reaction somewhere down the line. You can't you can't put the genie back into into the bottle. It's impossible. Yeah. Part of the problem with it is that there's a section of society that wants to, to brush it under the carpet, to brush under the carpet the things that, that we need to shine a light on.
1: The obvious thing we hear is we shouldn't airbrush history. But, I, you know, the argument is this is actually the opposite to that. This is actually elevating the history that's not been told. Um, is there a danger that we get the baby out the bathwater? That there is a, and I think this is the kind of argument that the government... In sense? Prob- I'll explain, that the government would probably hide behind, I think, is that... We've perhaps gone from the total and utter denial, the reality of the British involvement in colonialism in Commonwealth countries, to now going to the other extreme that everything that British history is bad, is negative, have to feel, you know, down about it. And I think that that, that resonates and hits with some of those working class communities which the senior leaders in the Conservative Party are very skillful at sort of pushing that button. They're making you feel bad again there is absolutely pressing that button to stoke up certain fears and
0: uncomfortabilities in certain communities. Uh, Ultimately, people don't like to feel uncomfortable. Rather than engaging with what they're being told or the stories or the narratives, there's an immediate kind of knee-jerk reaction, defensive, put it away, we don't want to hear about that, we don't want our power challenged. And I think It's not baby out with the bathwater. I think if you always used to feeling comfortable and you're living the narratives that you feel comfortable with and perpetuating them, anything that challenges that is going to make you feel that we've gone
1: to the other extreme. It's an emotional reaction, isn't it? But where is that coming from? I think that what people don't always realise is that that is also a form of history, an identity, a British identity that those people that feel uncomfortable with this have identified with so in some regard that is coming from a place of having the rug pulled underneath and the very foundations of who they are what they represent what they believe have been shaken haven't they really so i guess is that a, is that a kind of natural reaction to feeling displaced
0: is that a natural reaction i i, oh, I think that's a difficult one i think that you can be made to feel uncomfortable but have a sense of awareness that that's what's happening, and be able to sit in that uncomfortability and and hear those things that make you feel uncomfortable and turn them around in your head. I think it could be natural to some people, not necessarily to others.
1: And it's an uncomfortability. It's an uncomfortable feeling that the majority of Black people would have had to live with. Period. That yeah, suddenly this we're, is we're suddenly this is quite me. new. This is quite.
0: Yeah, we're not here to make people feel comfortable. And being asked to make. Other people feel comfortable with understanding these issues or
1: trying to pick them apart, or it is not our job. Where I would push back at that, though, is I feel that that is a black person's prerogative, 100%. But I do sometimes feel that some white people, particularly white middle class people with well meaning, you know, liberal persuasions, almost kind of revel in their, I'm going to use the word wokeness <laughs> now, in their kind of woke righteousness rather than trying to convey a message to other white people they want to condemn them and they want to hide perhaps some of their own unconscious prejudices by no no, no, no i'm not racist i'm not racist I, you know i believe that i believe that this is where the cancel culture yeah. the woke stuff is coming from it's actually not coming from the black community it's not coming from the asian community it's a white issue i would say
0: um there is a lot in there. I think there's a case to answer in regards to that. I think there are lots of uh, white middle-class people who who would like to see themselves as allies. Many of them are allies. Uh, I don't know, sometimes it feels a little bit like a, a, a bit of a woke-off.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, you yeah. You
0: know, I'm the most woke in the village, as it were. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and I think that that tendency does tend to grate against those who feel like they're campaigners against that woke culture. I get that. I get that white people don't want to be made to feel like they're the baddies by other white people who, who feel like they want to do the right thing and get on board and get on the side. Is it is it
1: always doing the right thing, or is it just portraying an image of, of some, that some of it?
0: Is, it's like a tick box exercise.
1: Some of it is performative to
0: be seen. Performative, to, yeah, yeah, to, to be seen to be doing the right thing, and that is damaging.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the the issue where perhaps some parts of the left don't help themselves. They you know they don't like debate. My, my question to you was about the universities. Is that when I think you said earlier about. There isn't so much of a cancel culture. You don't think there's a cancel culture in universities? Um, you, I think... You, you, you think, I think if somebody came in and presented a, a right-wing kind of view? I mean, it's very well known in universities in, or both sides of the Atlantic that students kind oh. of campaigning, no platforming and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, it didn't say that there's not a cancel culture. I said it's not a crisis. I think the
1: government bringing
0: in a czar
1: to kind of (laughs)
0: police freedom of speech and kind of police the universities if it's not being used correctly and encouraging students to snitch. is just bloody ridiculous. People get very confused when talking about freedom of speech. Everyone is free to say what the hell they like. But universities are also free to say to the likes of Amber Rudd or whoever next that we don't have to give you a platform to say what you like. People like Amber Rudd, they're not denied a platform amber i could get her voice out wherever she wherever she wants to get it out being cancelled by one university college is not going to change her ability her power to influence
1: there is a subtle difference between um as you say freedom of speech and cancelling and there is this whole kind of joke where it's like you know you see somebody saying i haven't got a voice anywhere and that message is across like 11 different media platforms in the country, and I'm like, hang exactly. on, you, who's cancelling you? So, there is some truth to that, yeah. People talk about the last general election, they talk about how Corbyn lost, but they don't actually talk about why and how Boris won, yeah. And now, this whole stuff is happening, he is tapped into this reaction, as we said earlier, this emotional response to woke culture, yeah, this emotional response to the revealing of the realities of what being British is, what being part of the British Empire actually was. This is entirely, you know, we're not talking about a kind of, you know, a, a progressive conservative, are we really? You know, maybe you can say David Cameron arguably kind of was. You're talking about Boris is, is probably the most right wing cabinet since Thatcher, I would say. For them, their entire sense of who they are, what they represent is in danger of being exposed. Pomp and ceremony, Royal Britannia and all this stuff. And to the very foundations of their core voters, they need them to still believe this stuff for them to stay in power. Because if the game is up and the scales of people's eyes come off, that's what they're living in fear of, losing power.
0: No, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking whether I agree with whether they are in really in fear or just... To, it's a continuance of the rhetoric that they have built over the last... Five years with the Brexit vote. This just feels like an, a kind of um, bolt onto that, an addition, where they can keep that base happy and make make sure that they ring that vote in at the next election. I don't know if they're they're in fear of being exposed because that kind of power never feels that it
1: it will because it it lives in. The entitlements. I think this whole kind of debate does shake that. I think I just want to talk a bit about social class. So I think to a certain degree how Blair managed to win the general election was by appealing to the centre, to more kind of socially mobile people. And in a sense, working class voters really had nowhere else to go other than to vote Labour. So they did. 1997, so you had 59% uh, C2DE Voters, which is occupational working class, in 1997. By 2010, there were more ABC ones, which is middle class, than C2D labour voters. By 2019, the Tories 48% C2DEs and Labour 33% C2DE. So in that period of from 97 to 2010, the demographic has complete and utterly shifted. That the transformation of the Labour Party to a kind of liberal, urban, middle class focus has kind of handed these people on a plate to people that would only listen to them. And that's the, the right.
0: My sense is that we allowed Farage to create the political weather because successive governments failed to answer some of the natural concerns of the ordinary ordinary people Mm. I feel those concerns were largely about resources about being able to access the NHS about being able to get their kids into school but about being able to find a job to be able to put food on the table successive governments couldn't couldn't answer the real concerns and I'm remembering that that awful moment that Gordon Brown microphone yeah wasn't switched off he was in a working-class town and a yeah. woman had asked him something and he was, he was quite scathing about that woman. It was really damning, as it, as it should have been.
1: There was another example, Emily Thornbury in 2014. Yeah. She tweeted a well, photo of on. her yeah, outside a house with St George flags, an image from, from Rochester, and was accused of sort of sneering mockery. and She was forced to stand down. Labour MP Noshaba Khan said, in one image, Labour had almost destroyed its foundations, displaying growing detachment from its roots. If you were a post-industrial worker, a manual worker in an industry where your production was outsourced abroad or your wages were driven down because of mass immigration, your local services were smashed, you expected Labour to have your corner. And then when you actually try and speak about, about what are legitimate fears, their sense of place and their sense of community had changed. And then when they try to express that, they are racist or they're thick is i mean is that racist for you if you feel displaced and you feel that your community has changed as human beings we don't like change and we're fearful
0: of other others other so i think it is a natural concern to to feel that you are being pushed out of your community and no longer being spoken for and catered to i would not call that racist yeah i think where there are racist tendencies we have a immoral and unethical press and political leaders that will make pay with that and manipulate that.
1: There is a lot of mockery and sneery from people on the left towards that, though. I mean, you I, are, you I, know, you've yeah. seen that on, in the Brexit debate. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, thick chavs, those emotional responses to feeling unheard, not listened to, segregated. You would hear exactly the same things in a different way from somebody from Hartcliffe and Nile West. It's not bound in the colonial... Legacy of of slavery or bound in institutional racism, of course, but it's like a different type of oppression and a different type of lacking a voice. Yeah,
0: it doesn't make it any less valid. It's just different.
1: Um, cool. but there are
0: more. I think that that binds than divides, and yeah. we need to bring people together to become better allies across those race and class divides.
1: Just jump in there if I can. Bristol Cable likes to be at the focal point of conversations around class, race, culture and economics in the city this is what this podcast is all about and what the monthly paper is too but we want you involved and like most media outlets in the city we have a membership model you can pay some money every month it could be a pound, could be £5, it could be £10 whatever you can afford and you can be involved in making decisions about the type of stories we cover so jump on board Back to the chat. Going back to one of the early points around it not being your duty, how it makes somebody else feel. If it makes somebody run for the hills and vote BNP or vote for the Brexit party or whatever, and that's happening as a consequence to this whole culture wars debate,
0: yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I don't know if I agree if that that they're running to vote for the BNP because of the debate it, itself. I think there will be some people who who are
1: because they're predisposed to be that way. Um, so what we've been talking about is about patriotism and nationalism. You know, we've, and we said about Thornbury with flags and stuff like you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, England is the only country where people are made to feel ashamed to wave their flag. Even left progressives, and we know them, that will wave the Welsh flag with, with gusto. They will wave the Scots flag. You go to places like Spain, France, Portugal, the Italians, who arguably have got equal amount of colonial shame and colonial guilt to deal with as the English do. Um, why, why did many people on the left kind of uh, conflate patriotism with nationalism?
0: My sense is that this is a very particular problem here in, in England. Yeah. Don't bulk against the union flag in in the same way as as the St George cross. You do more like St George,
1: people, okay? Yeah,
0: um, yeah. No, that that will make me feel sick to my stomach.
1: Really, really? Yeah, that's interesting. Will. Okay,
0: I have a very uh, visceral reaction to that, and if I'm driving through an area that has that flag, it will it will unsettle and unnerve me.
1: Even in a World Cup, or football, or cricket World Cup. Uh, no. The World Cup is slightly different. <laughs> okay, yeah. When it's a World Cup, it's slightly different. But I find that fascinating because, you know, you obviously oversee St. Paul's Carnival, where there's every flag from, you know, the West Indies, flags from parts of Africa. It's seen as part of the culture. And an awful lot of white British people will wave those flags, but will feel ever so uncomfortable waving their own.
0: Yes, I know. I do think that there's a challenge with the uh, St. George Cross having been co-opted. Yeah. You know that was co-opted, and it's never been um uh, recent, reclaimed like, is it really like, no, no yeah, it's never been yeah. reclaimed because, like you say, Caribbean nations rep your flag it's it's a big part of the culture, so th- it's quite interesting to me, so you know that black pride black love, black power, being proud to be black, yeah those things had to happen because of what what had been taken away from us about our blackness and what blackness had been morphed into. Yeah. But if you turn that on its head, being proud to be white is a completely different thing. Yeah. So it, for me, it's, it, being proud to be black or proud to be black, it's an accident of birth. So I find the whole notion of being proud to be, it's quite bizarre.
1: But people are, though, aren't they? It's acceptable. It's well, acceptable. No, and you Asian, can say you're proud to be black and you can say you're proud to be Asian. If I was just to walk, if I was walking through Easter, I am proud to be white. People would be incredibly uncomfortable. This is exactly right. I'm not saying it's necessarily true and it's anywhere near the same level, but this is exactly how these people feel when they feel that they're not allowed to wave their own flag. It, it, for them, in their own sphere of experience, it is exactly the same. It's all about context, isn't it? Going back
0: to a freedom of speech, no one's saying that you can't wave your flag. But yes, I understand why people will be. It's loaded, them, isn't it? It's so it's, loaded. Exactly yeah. Loaded. But that is because of the history behind it
1: a lot of these people that are patriotic that necessarily wouldn't really be on board with the revisionist history stuff, because it's like, Oh my God, this is like shaking my roots and my foundations. I've got fuck all, everything's been taken away from me. The only thing I've got left is like, Oh, I love, I love England football, I love England cricket. And, And you're saying I can't do that as well. It's no wonder Farage and people like that were, it didn't take a lot would it just to sort of press a few buttons and say, come this way with us. Uh, no, and that's that's exactly part of the
0: issue. You know, these people need to reclaim their flag back and sanitize it, and find ways to feel proud. It. There's nothing wrong with. Feeling proud of, you know, I felt incredibly proud of the opening display of the bloody Olympics, which I thought was going to be atrocious because I thought it was going to be loads of kind of head-handed, what I would call British nonsense. But I felt really proud of that. There's nothing wrong with feeling proud of an achievement that your country has got. You know, there's nothing wrong with feeling proud of that. But where we are born is an accident of birth. And to kind of use that in a, I'm proud of who I am and we're better than you, that is the ridiculousness. This is problematic. To be proud is one thing. And to say, and come and share that and be part of that. Come visit us. That's one thing. That's that's fine. Pride. It's right? the exclusion
1: of others what? and the superiority attached to it. From the sort of social kind of movements from the 60s to now, people do use nicer language. A lot of people are a bit more inclusive in their attitudes. But actually in economic power, position and status... Nothing's really changed since then, really. So I think sometimes if the conversation remains at just culture and not economics and power behind that culture, then it kind of exists without really affecting data square.
0: I'm the executive director of St Paul's Carnival, black-led community organisation, part of the Super Six, a group of black-led community organisations here in Bristol. And we know that black-led organisations are not receiving or winning the same kind of funding and investment support as our peer organisations.
1: And that's a tricky road to down internally as well as externally, I think, in in the role that you have, because if it remains a silo, it remains as something that doesn't impact or touch upon the wider existing institutions in the city. So you've got to be forward-facing to try and walk in what are effectively white spaces, yeah, to change them. But often if you do do that, you can be criticised from the community as well.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Um, The whole um, policing of blackness.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: You know, I meant to say this a bit earlier. As I said to you, I don't think it's our job to make people feel comfortable, but I am also a great believer in collaboration and partnership. Yeah. We, We do need to be in different spaces and some of those spaces are going to make us uncomfortable because then we don't feel that there's are natural spaces that people aren't like us etc etc but I do think it's important
1: to build bridges and to yeah. collaborate with people and that doesn't mean you have to agree does it I like that there's a middle way isn't there which is still holding your ground still holding your conviction still believing in the truths and also disagreeing with people but being in the building and that space and having dialogue at the same time we are
0: comfortable when we're in an echo chamber. We are comfortable, and we, I'm going back to feeling uncomfortable,
1: yeah. making
0: change, systemic change, change that's going to be embedded, is about a whole load of people feeling uncomfortable and challenging their worldview. Because the, the challenges that we face as a community, as the working class, is that these indicators start from very early in life, and it's, it's repeated, generation after generation after generation. Mm-hmm. We are still having very similar conversations That my mother would have been having in
1: her time and it's it's not acceptable my sense is this whole woke thing which is essentially what that is is people becoming more conscious of social issues of race of class of gender of you know you've got the the trans debate all this sort of stuff that's sort of simultaneously bubbling up and there's a bit of a, some people are uncomfortable or scared of it. Some people are maybe a bit militant in how they message that. Some are resistant, some are pro. All this sort of stuff is because I think that we're, we're in this sort of shifting sands moment, aren't we?
0: we? We are. I saw an interview with Angela Davis who, you know, a long-time activist who basically said, that you know, the events of last year, the Black Lives Matter yeah. movement and
1: marches and the response around the globe She's never seen anything like that yeah. before. It is different, isn't it? So when the people say like, oh, we're just talking about statues, actually, it isn't really about the statues. They, no, they, are a, they are a symbolic gesture of actually what has had a huge, ginormous ripple effect across the globe. It's not just about
0: statues. It's about challenging the received wisdom of yeah. what everyone's place in life is. Yeah. should be and always has been. Yeah. And yes, I think
1: the events of last year has shaken that to its core. But I think the backlash is coming though. You know, the whole thing now with, as you, we spoke about, the, the free speech czar, all this stuff, the, the The backlash is well and truly coming now. I think there will be significant moves to try and halt, you know, as there were and have been in the States as well to stop this now, which is why I think the reaction needs to be quite measured and quite smart. And not too reactive to stay focused on what is what is focused on the truth. Focused. Yeah.
0: I think people need to stay focused but also be very aware that this insidious creeping behaviour could be very, very dangerous and we need to watch and be vigilant. The left, we are not very good at fighting the Conservatives because the Conservatives are are ruthless and will do anything and say anything and i don't think that we need to wear their clothing but I, you know we need to understand the pr war and, and
1: some of the tactics some of the strategies and, yeah, and some of the tactics. Yeah, that. I agree. Don't
0: have that going I agree. on but it is about labor is about grassroots movement it's yeah. about knowing your communities and building power within those communities finding out you know yeah. it being place based what what this yeah. place needs is different from what this place needs get to know yeah. those places and build power
1: yeah does that happen in bristol
0: uh i think it does i mean i love the fact that bristol is such a, a powerful community i think bristol is just the city for that kind of community-led grassroots activism yeah. some great and you're
1: activism doing that now aren't you with the citizens assembly yeah. you're taking the mantle up we touched on that last week a little bit the green Councillor clive stevens was singing the praises of the whole approach in general that you know more yeah. and more places are doing this um direct that, that's, that's direct democracy yeah Yeah, Yeah,
0: it's amazing. I'm one of the facilitators for the Citizens Assembly. One of the hats that I wear is I'm an action learning facilitator and I work with organisations to uh, coach social leaders. One of the CEOs that I worked with approached me to ask if I'd like to be one of the facilitators. And I jumped at the chance because I'm a community organiser. I believe in people power. I believe in empowering people to be the change that they want to see. And I don't believe that we get enough change at the ballot box for lots and lots of reasons. Yeah. So I love the idea of randomly bringing together citizens to influence decision-making at the centre. I yeah. think that's really powerful. If you
1: work in community development, you do that all the time, don't you, really? Yeah. It's almost like what we've been doing anyway, but just now in kind of a more concise political framework.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think, you know, people are very sceptical about politics, aren't they? All all of them are the same. We can't make any...
1: Politicians, I would say, maybe, rather than, yeah. yeah.
0: What was it? I think Jim Messina said that the average person thinks about politics four minutes in a week. Four minutes,
1: Neil. Right. You've done that before you've had breakfast most days, haven't you?
0: Before I've had breakfast, I've had um, (laughs) had like five minutes of rows with people on Twitter about politics. Politics is everything. It's in everything. And that's why it's something like a citizens' assembly for people to to kind of really make the change in their local areas that they need to see. And for local politicians to understand what the needs are. I mean, you, you can do the campaigning and the politicking and all of that kind of stuff, but there is no substitute for or yeah. bringing people together in a format like
1: that. Do you get any resistance? Because obviously one of the narratives of Bristol is a bit of a progressive bubble at times. There's an awful lot of people moving here from London, getting into senior positions of leadership and stuff yeah. like that. I've probably been at the forefront of saying that a lot probably <laughs> over the years. I have. Um, do you Have you encountered any, you know, a bit of kickback? from uh, Personally? Yeah. Um,
0: I, I think it's probably... Disgust behind my back okay, <laughs> but,
1: all right. I I haven't done that, by the way. I do that in front, I do that in front of you.
0: Yeah. I, I hope that um I am respectful to you know, I the, the role that I'm in I I see it as a, a real privilege. I mean St. Paul's carnival.
1: Without blown smoke, I know you are also somebody that in your role very much does try to identify local people from the Saint Paul's community to be actively involved and having active ownership so you've used your position in fact arguably actually maybe because you're so mindful of the fact that you have come in from London that you you will try hard to do that Uh,
0: always I mean St Paul's Carnival belongs to the community doesn't it I completely understand the kind of fear of because it is so successful and because you have a hundred thousand people come to the streets of St Paul's and it is a business you know it's a business that needs to be sustainable so there is a danger that carnival will be washed out for want of another phrase washed out and that it will no longer represent the community that it springs from so for me part of the role of an organisation like St Paul's Carnival is to provide those platforms for Bristolians and, and people from St Paul's to have influence and create change that has got to be a key driver for that organization otherwise it will fail in what it's meant to be doing
1: i think there's a uniqueness most certainly to saint paul's carnival i would say probably it's one of the real core last remaining grassroots led cultural projects in the city yeah it is that actually in a slightly odd way how it retains its sense of community and its sense of space and its sense of culture and its sense of history could almost support and sort of consult to other parts of the city to do likewise where they come from. Do you know what I mean?
0: Um, I do know what you mean. I think if if black-led organisations weren't so busy fighting for survival, would they find the time to be able to do that kind of stuff? Yeah. Community organisations, you know, look at the response to COVID. You know, your Malcolm X's, your Bristol Black Carers, these organizations aren't, aren't blessed with resources, but they know their yeah. communities and they know how to galvanize people. They have a lot of the answers that some of the kind of larger, more successful organizations and institutions, and even, you know, local politics would love to be able to resonate with their communities in the way that community led organizations do. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Always a it's been great. We've gone in about forty seven different directions. Have you have you enjoyed it? I have actually.
0: When I came on I absolutely knackered and I thought I
1: can't I can't have one of these conversations
0: with Neil because I know how <laughs> we get into it but actually, it's been illuminating
1: and yeah, made Ooh. me think of a lot of different things that are really close to my heart it's still probably half the amount of time of our usual phone calls yeah, isn't it <laughs> we're just getting going now really oh, just getting warmed up uh, but yeah, yeah it's good to it's good to have it recorded for posterity lovely nice one the toilet. you take All care right. see you soon key things that stood out for me obviously the conversation around this free speech svengali or champion the government have brought in and how perhaps this is being used as a way of putting the lid back on the pandora's box for all this new awareness We you know through black lives matter through the decolonization of the classroom a, a retro historic perspective of the realities of empire and how this is a kind of sense of panic but also I had to prod and perhaps for her to accept that there is a bit of a cancel culture as well. People on the left aren't that comfortable with the alternative view either. Her job is not to make people feel comfortable and actually that some people need to get used to feeling uncomfortable. I like that and I think she's right. The only danger of that is if that uncomfortable feeling is then exploited by more insidious political agendas and I think that's probably what's happened in recent times. We need to be very wary of that and particularly I would say the white people that are kind of scared of their own colonial guilt a bit so will hide and be very right on and what she call performative in their allyship and actually you need to be mindful of people that maybe do feel uncomfortable that their sense of who they are, their sense of their own history is more bounded in their identity and they feel shook so just to leave them into the embers to be picked up and exploited by the right. And the far right it isn't the answer. And I think the Citizens' Assembly that she's involved in is potentially an example of that. And actually maybe it's bypassing left and right and it's just about involving direct voices from communities. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs. And a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.